As we are launching Climentum Capital, we hope to build a, a successful franchise, not for one fund, but for multiple funds in the next decade, because this climate fight will keep us busy for the rest of our days, and it requires building an audience. Welcome to the Entrepreneurs for Impact podcast. My name is Chris Wedding, and I'm your host. As a former private equity investor, occasional monk, startup founder, Duke and UNC professor, and mastermind guide for our climate CEO peer groups, I launched this podcast to share inspiring stories of CEOs and investors tackling climate change. Honestly, just got a little tired of all the doom and gloom. Through these interviews, I hope we can all become better founders, investors, entrepreneurs, and human beings by digesting these guests' secrets to starting and scaling climate companies, creating careers of impact, building habits and routines for higher productivity and health, and growing through maybe life-changing books and podcasts that they recommend. All right, let's get started. So, Johan, the, the, the place we normally start is like, look, give us the kind of elevator pitch on what you're doing right now. Now, I think that's part of the podcast, but really it's Climentum Capital, I think. So what's mm-hmm. what what's the story? Why should folks keep listening to, <laughs> to hear from Johan? I know the answer, but they don't. <laughs> well, thanks, uh, Grace, to, 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 to have me on your show. So first of all, I'm a general partner at Climentum Capital. It's a Berlin-based $150 million Euro fund. We're launching very soon. So stay tuned. It's going to be a a lot of exciting news coming up. And on the other side, I'm also running Climate Insiders, which is my podcast, which invites the top founders and investors in Europe to collect as many insights we can from them. I just found that there's a lot of great content coming from the US, you know, Chris, uh, Chris podcast included, but not so much coming from Europe. And being a French citizen, but having worked in Silicon Valley, I've collected so much information that I'm trying to re-import back in the fabrics of the European ecosystem. And I find that storytelling, marketing, but also sharing insights from each other is definitely a a little bit of a missing brick in that wall. So that's my attempt to try to contribute to the community by sharing the top minds insights from everything they've learned, uh, executing beautifully their own businesses, but also raising their own funds, raising their own startups. There's so much to share out there. So you can stay tuned and it's going to come every Tuesday, but main, main focus on European players. I think a lesson for folks listening is you're aware of the ecosystem as an investor, as a founder for a long time. And you said, well, you know, where, where's there a gap, right? Let, let's not just do the same mm-hmm. thing others are doing. Let's, let's fill a hole and let's fill a hole partly as a give back, right, to build the ecosystem and partly let's fill a hole because, look, frankly, this is a way for, for you, right? I mean, for me, but in this case, I'm talking about you, right? Like be a thought leader, right? And, and that, that translates yeah. later to, oh, well, I, I heard, you know, the Climate Insiders podcast. I'm a founder. Oh, guess what? Now Climentum has 150 million euros. I think he wants the kind of guy that I want to be on my board or whatnot, right, to be both the personality and the, the, the sector insight. So I think what that means for an entrepreneur to be yeah. learning from your decisions there, I guess. Yeah, it's a good point. So there's a, a multiple ways to, to, to tackle that. Number one, it looks like the podcast space is saturated, right? There's so many podcasts being launched. 
but I find that I'm the audience will probably you know uh, join me there. Is you typically find those two or three that you listen to on a regular basis, and you develop your own uh, curriculum with that. And the gap, the gap was just too enormous in Europe, so we had to build a curriculum. So that's sort of number one. Number two is I've been a founder before, an entrepreneur, and I definitely felt connected to that sort of podcast host that might be just five or 10 years ahead in, in their own journey. And that's sort of distilling a lot of insights to me as a listener. And that has been the, the biggest mentorship in, in my career. I, I realized that everyone is after chasing a, a great mentor, and we don't really find that in a corporate setting. You know, a, a company is not designed to provide mentorship. It's designed to exploit certain skill set, to put you to work 40 hours and to optimize every hour they can. Mm. Uh, it's not really designed to help you grow. You have to find growth yourself. Mm. So typically, it's nights and weekends. Uh, it's a bit sad to say, but that's that's the truth. And I found that the podcast host, I probably be being my, my, or the host, but also the guest, the biggest mentors in my own career. Mm. And uh, definitely also helpful. So I, I guess point number three, as we are launching Climentum Capital, we hope to build a, a successful franchise, not for one fund, but for multiple funds in the next decade, because this climate fight will keep us busy for the rest of our days. And it requires building an audience, an audience of trusted founders, an audience of like-minded peers and, and investors, but also people that are outside of that circumference the people that are in governments, that are doing reforms, that are trying to reshape our society, but it's also the ecosystem players that are just uh, artists, creators, music producers, just uh, a lot of ripple effects with that that is very hard to quantify. Mm. But those people might just be plugging in, listening to that, getting some in in insight, and then sort of tuning it to their own tone to provide value to their own ecosystem. And audio is definitely a format that is uh, making you know, bigger and bigger waves. Uh, video as well, it just takes so much so much time to produce video content. Yeah, I think you need to reach a certain scale to get there. Mm -hmm. So let's start with audio first to build audience and provide maximum value to the ecosystem and see where it goes. I'm intrigued by what you said around you know podcast host being like a quasi-mentor to listeners. Mm -hmm. I think I feel that too. <laughs> I think I suddenly feel more pressure <laughs> with this podcast being, <laughs> being better. Let's go to the next one. So we got a sense for kind of, you know, your your work. Let's rise above your work for a second. Yeah. You've both been a founder and an investor, and now you will be investing in many more companies. Can you talk about a mistake, a common mistake you see founders making or have made yourself? Yeah. And maybe, you know, ways to look, not not do that. Yeah. So the number one mistake. So I, I started my career as a software engineer, worked in Silicon Valley for a number of startups. Uh, one that has done great, the other one poorly. So I learned from both sides, you know, as a as an engineer. And then I started my first company. I thought I was prepared, equipped, that I learned already from the best. I was in my late 20s. So I really thought, you know, it was the time, time to shine. And the biggest mistake I did in hindsight, it's only really readable in hindsight, is the place of the ego. A lot of people start a company because they want to be at the center of that frame, they want the spotlight, but they also want to succeed and to have the status attached to it. Mm. And I'm saying that with a, a bit of shame, uh, you know, you only start feeling shame afterwards. But I realized that I, I was uh, maybe chasing that a little too much, but also I, I was too attached to my baby. And as you start a company, you put your own money. This is also not spoken enough is the fact that there's an enormous barrier to entry to become a, a startup founder. And a lot of that is just money. 
is just having, you know, enough uh, runway sitting around in your bank account so that you can survive for two years, maybe more, without any inc- income. And I often, you know, advise founders to stick to their own full-time job as long as they can, because if you can, you know, have one more year, extend your runway by an, an additional year, it, it might be just uh, the difference if you're six, six feet from gold. A lot of time the founders quit because they just run out of money and, you know, they've been hitting up their savings for way too long. So the number one advice is it is normal that you feel like it's your baby, but focus, don't fall in love too much with that baby because you might have to kill it, right? Or you might have to completely change it or you might have to just let that part of that baby go and pivot into something that is very different. There's just so many steps along that process that require you to step back and, you know, get away from it. That is hard to fully comprehend the first time you do it. Yeah. I, I like a lot of that. I think, I think what, the one change or the way I say it is you've got to be able to hear that your baby's, your baby's ugly. So we don't need to kill the baby, but ba- yeah. your baby may be ugly, <laughs> right? You're, you're, give your baby a bath or whatever, put new clothes on the baby. <laughs> um, yeah. I wrote down two things here. And, one is that along the lines of, the, of your, of your baby, like feedback is just data, right? Uh, yeah. It isn't like a, it doesn't have to be as emotional as we, as we typically make it. Although, you know, I have done this for sure in years past. Feedback yeah. is just data. Learn, you know, learn from it. The other thing I wrote down around, around ego, there's a good book by Ryan Holiday called Ego, ego is, the, is enemy. the Enemy. Yeah. Absolutely. Massive slap in the face the first time I read that book. Yes. It was my best friend, actually, that handed me that book saying, uh, you know, uh, Johan, I think this is the time for you to read that book. <laughs> And uh, I was like, wow, I took it as a bit of an insult. The, the, yeah, the, right. the title is a bit misleading, by the way. It's not yeah. just uh, the enemy. There's so many lessons to derive from that book. Right. And I, I find that you cannot read that book. It has to find you at the right time. And mm-hmm. before you're making that jump to become a founder, is probably a little too early. When you're in that journey, definitely is the right time. And in a post-mortem analysis, if your startup fails... Or if you enable growth and uh, fundraising more, this is probably the sweet spot. Mm. Yeah, I think um, be, being a, a meditation practitioner for a few decades, I'm not perfect at it. I still have an ego for sure, but I, ho- I hope I'm yeah. a little better at, rec- at recognizing. Oh yeah, that's a, that's about me. What about what about the team or the mission or the or the customers or the members or anyway others? Yeah. yeah. All right, that's great advice. It's great advice. Good reminder. There's another part of the ego that I wanted to, to, to touch on that. Please, yeah. The fact that there's, it's part of the sort of world that we live in. And you're very, you see it at first hand, you and I had a bit of a conversation on this, is the fact that you need to be present on, on social media. So you need to sort of de- start, start building up a, a, a web personality mm. that might not fit your own values and personality at all time, right? It's just like, and the decoupling is getting bigger and bigger as we put more and more emphasis on social media. So it's vital for a, for, for a podcast, but also for fun and even more for a startup these days to develop a, a, a web presence. And it's the world of egos, right? There's not been a, a bigger space or arena for egos than, than today's world, especially on LinkedIn where everyone is celebrating. And, and this is where I struggle a little bit, where I'm trying to, to stay true to my values in the physical world, but I also need to play by the rule, which is putting myself out there and then developing a brand and developing an audience and people want to want to hear from people, not personas and not corporates, not, not companies. So the decoupling hurts and I'm still battling with that. I haven't fully figured out mm. how to do uh, both 
well? I think it's it's good self-awareness, right? To think I don't kind of identify, resonate with a lot of what's required or expected for a normal social media presence, except that I know a social media presence, you know, look, being authentic, not just putting on a show out there is pretty important for standing out in a crowded marketplace. Look, I have, I have similar, you know, thoughts or struggles where, look, I, I can talk to a tree, right? I I have my extroverted aspects (laughs) for sure, but also love hanging out alone in the woods, right? Um, that's very contrary, of course, to social media. You know, I, I mm-hmm. wrote down when you were speaking va- vanity metrics, right? Where yeah. it's like, you know, it's, it's easy to become obsessed. And I, I feel it, right? With, well, okay, well, how many followers on LinkedIn or Twitter or newsletter or whatever? And yeah. on one end, super annoying. On the other, I think, well, okay, well, why do I want followers? Well, people are going to consume information from some source. I'd like to believe with all of the reading and self-work that I'm doing, I'd like to believe that my voice <laughs> would be useful He's hard. Um, yeah, or, or, or different. And so it's like, well, if I'm, if I'm trying to quote unquote, make a difference at both personal growth and climate finance, then you got to share what you're learning. And so for me, it's like, well, all right, I care about the metrics because I want more folks to at least um, be exposed to, you know, yeah. the, the kinds of things that I'm, that I'm learning. Not that they're right necessarily, but there are a lot of other worse things to be reading out there. Yeah, yeah. Well, there's two yeah. sides to it. That I, I'm fully with you here. There's two sides to it. I, I look at it, I, and I think a lot about this, is number one, we know in the world of, of noise, right? It's just a noisy environment. Twitter, LinkedIn, and in order to be seen, right, to grab the attention, you need to be noisier than the rest, right? Noisier because you're more on point. Yeah, you mean you're just a crystallizing a thought that people just resonate with, so you sort of stand out. But a lot of the times, it's just a daily grind and postings, you know, so that the algorithms pick up your content and and present it to more people. So that does that sort of that rule of the game that you need to uh, abide by if you want to be noticeable. And this I, I struggle with. I, str- I struggle with because I noise is the antiquation to to peace right it's just uh, mm-hmm. you need to reduce noise to make peace with yourself and that is the biggest struggle you know one other angle for reaching the folks you want to reach so here's an example one of the members of our climate mastermind peer group is this guy jay Lippman. so he's the co-founder and president of a company called ethic so they mm-hmm. th- their job is to make uh, esg investing easier often for, for wealth managers or, or family offices and so I think I think their their kind of solution is helping like a couple of billion dollars like move more seamlessly into ESG strategies. But he and they are also very good at at storytelling and especially using video through LinkedIn. And I saw yesterday one they produced where they were kind of taking on Elon Musk's denigration of ESG simultaneous with Tesla getting some dings around ESG. And you know it's. It's it's both a kind of a hot take, if you will. Yeah. But it's it's also balanced, but it's humorous. And I think, well, sometimes it's having a strong opinion on topics where there are other strong opinions as a way to kind of stand out from the noise. Yeah. As he and I brainstormed, it's like, yes, that is a great idea. And it's a great video and it's much needed. But for me, it's like, well, gosh, I'm not really looking to be controversial, not that not that their yeah, right. particular take was controversial. Anyway, we, we could go on. <laughs> that's right. Let me come back to Climentum Capital. 
So you're, you're nearing the final close on this 150 million mm-hmm. euro fund. Help the listeners understand both geographic focus. Is it just EU? Yeah, sure. Is it across the pond in the US? And then stage of company. So Climentum Capital has three bases. We're based, we have partners, five partners distributed between Copenhagen, Stockholm, and Berlin. So very Nordic oriented. Why the Nordics is because they're, they have a great value system. I feel like the Scandinavians have already been ahead, right? Two trains ahead of the rest of the population. Oh yeah. And there's a lot of government funding. There's a lot of, uh, you know, private money awareness and a lot of pockets are looking to contribute to the climate fight. So strategically is, is been tailored there, uh, both to tap into that, but also to tap into the great founder pool. Uh, Sweden has been, you know, surfing that's, that Web 2.0 and that Web 3.0 uh, wave beautifully. I think it's the, the country in, in the world or the second maybe to Israel that has the highest uh, number of unicorns per capita. Oh, wow. And, uh, you know, highest uh, VC dollar per capita as well. Huh. And, and Germany's obviously a behemoth in Europe, right? Both in terms of economy, but in terms of also climate targets. So it also makes sense for us to, to, to have a presence here. In terms of where we will deploy capital, we have our portfolio construction of 25 companies. So we, we intend to deploy 25 tickets in, in, in across Europe in the next four years. That's not a lot. And we have to be hyper-focused to make the right, the right investments, both in terms of financial returns, but we have a dual carry model. So we're looking really looking for impact. And this is a new uh, breed of fund uh, that is sort of a hybrid between a, a, a hardcore VC and an impact fund. Mm. So our LPs are waiting for financial return, but also for impact targets. And it functions with a dual hurdle. So first is the financial hurdle and then comes the impact hurdle. And so our goal is also, also to be vocal about this fund to inspire others. And there's certainly a lot of great funds, both in the US and in Europe, looking at, at this model. But the more we talk about it, the more we talk about the learnings and also the mistakes, and the more we are transparent about the actual target setting, mm. the more useful it will be for the community. And I find, uh, you know, I've been really active in that space for a number of years, and I find that the targets have been agitated with enormous numbers, right? Looking at gigatons of COD reduce, but in practice, it's so hard to remove a gigaton of CO2 equivalent Mm. out of the air, Mm. right? Tesla is far from there. And I I believe for them to to become, you know, a a gigacorn, so reducing a a gigaton of, of CO2, it might require millions of vehicles switching to electric. Mm. That is a, a sobering perspective, Johan. <laughs> Thanks for that. Also, a fun new vocabulary <laughs> lesson, gigacorn, in case uh, folks haven't, haven't heard that one yet. I, okay, so I wrote, I wrote a few questions down here. So, so, so 25 companies, I think by my, my math, that's a, about 6 million bucks a company. How much do you want to start with? Yeah, roughly. And then how do you think about, it's not, it's not going to be six per company. How do you think about First check, follow on, kind of yeah. largest allocation to a company, smallest allocation to a company. Yeah, so our range is one to five million euro per per company. This is for new tickets. So we allocate 50% of the fund for, for fresh new uh, tickets and then keep 50% in in follow-on rounds. And, Got it. and it depends on, on the size of the company, but also it depends on our level of conviction on a certain vertical. Okay. 
and we intend okay. to lead 50% of our, of our deals. Okay. That, that's really important. You want to lead, you want to be the lead investor, set the terms. We do want to lead. On half the deals. That's right. Okay. This is also another trend that we've been, we've been monitoring and is very exciting is the fact that generally VCs that have more dry powder, of course, right? They've been uh, historically present for longer and they're on fund four, five, six when climate tech funds are typically in fund one or two. But they do want on the cap table and on the board some specialists, right? The climate tech guys that really understand whether a life cycle analysis is how yeah. to, to measure the impact targets how to navigate all the, the government reforms. Uh, so they do want that, and that's why we might take the lead, even though a generalist uh, fund wants to invest. But it, a lot of times is uh, we have a critical size where we're large enough to plant the flag, take the lead, and then carry on yep. a, a host of smaller funds with us. You also mentioned dual hurdle. I think I can uh -huh. describe what that means and why it's pretty darn different, but how about you just uh, describe it for the listeners? Yeah, a dual hurdle, meaning that there's first hurdle and then a second hurdle. It is hard to put the impact hurdle first. You don't want to sound like a philanthropic fund. It's not just about rainbows and butterflies. It's also about financial returns. And it excites a lot more limited partners and government funds, pension funds to have their money back first and then make a three X, which is a historical return over 10 years. So it's always been in the conversations, let's return the money first. And then let's chase some impact targets. So the construction, and we're going to be very open about it, you know, open source our model and try to be very transparent to inspire others, is um, you, you have an impact target that is at the total funds uh, scale. So over 10 years, a plus two, right? So 10 plus two, traditional VC, VC fund uh, structuring yep. to reduce uh, X megatons of CO2. Now, the power law that applies to financial returns also applies to impact returns, which means that if you invest in a methane reduction company, it might not do any, you know, as they, they commercially scale, produce any kind of meaningful impact reduction over the, the first five to seven years, but then it just hockey sticks and becomes an enormous success commercially and then reduces you know, a number of megatons. And so we're targeting really those companies that have this hockey stick built in for, for CO2 reduction. And two follow-ons, how will you measure impact? Is it something that, that makes sense to, to kind of roll up similar metrics across all companies or is it very, very company specific? It's, it really varies per company. If you're looking at a, a composite material recycling, obviously it's a completely different set of metrics than a, a Actec, you know, a methane uh, reduction a company. But the, you know, to keep it simple, the, you do a back of the envelope calculation. You look at all the elements that contribute to the, the CO2 profile of, of that vertical. And so the supply chain, the, the materials, the input, uh, you know, materials, the, the travels, but also the, you know, the, the, the CO2 production of that end product. And then so back of the envelope, you sort of get a, a, a profile and then you do the, the projection over X number of years, how many products will be sold and how much of, uh, of the polluting equivalent will you take away from, you know, yep. from market share. So it's, it's really back of the up, up front just to construct an idea before jumping onto uh, due diligence. During the due diligence with the company, we typically visit the facilities or we try to dig in with some, some subject matter ex experts. Uh, they confirm the impact profile of the company or not, or invalidate that. And it's only at the end of 
the fund. So when we divest our investments, that we conduct a full life cycle analysis. Now, this is heavy. This involves PhDs. Uh, we internalize some of it, but we, extern- we intend to externalize probably most of it because it requires, you know, sometimes months of calculations. It's really heavy. It's costly. And it only makes sense to do it at the end of the fund. Yeah, I'm with you. So to do the, the front end calculations, will you all use some sort of, you know, public tool like, you know, CERC from Clean Energy Ventures or, I don't know, Crane from Prime and others or, yeah. or, or, or custom? Yeah, so at the moment it's custom. It's, uh, we, have, we have five partners in our team. One is fully dedicated to the impact. So Stefan mm. in our team is our impact investor, impact partner. And um, he has run LCAs and impact analysis for a number of years, right? For large corps and also for startups. So we rely on his expertise. Uh, we wish there was uh, a bit more standards, right? Sort of to benchmark everyone's analysis. So we're speaking the same language. We hope it's going to happen in the next couple of years. We do uh, intend to use some solutions you mentioned. So Crane uh, is a good one. We have some partner funds that use those. And we want to create a, a work group to exchange on, on the lessons from using solutions versus uh, proprietary calculations. Yeah. Well, I think for folks listening, if they're, if they're in finance and they want to dig deeper into impact metrics, there's a group called Impact Capital Managers Association, uh, which, which a friend of mine, well, a couple of friends, SGF and Wireframe and others, have, I think, co- you know, co-led or created or whatnot. Anyway, I think there's, I don't know, 60, 70 GPs now, mm. and they're trying to do that things like what, what you're talking about, right? Share best practices Absolutely. around things like impact beyond just the, the, uh, the financials. Yeah, so we don't throw um, uh, completely unrealistic targets. And we also stay you know, true to your... The, the worst thing would be to associate VC with greenwashing, especially our new breed mm. of investment. Because if you start losing trust from the get-go, from, from you know, the, the extended community, it's, uh, it's going to create much more damage than he's trying to provide help. Yep. And then, and then stage, I mean, I heard you say one to five million euro. So yeah. we're talking like C- seed or, or series A? What are we talking? Late seed to series A. That's right. So we're talking yeah. gear up here. Okay. The evaluations have kept, even though they uh, kind of skyrocketed over the last two years, they were cooling off a little bit, not as much as in the US, but they've never been as, uh, as uh, outrageous. <laughs> so we do intend to keep, you know, uh, with the one to five million ticket, you know, 10 to 20% of a company, and we invest at late seed to series A. Yep, perfect, perfect. Okay, let's go then. So we have just a, f- a few minutes left here. Let's go from Climentum back to Johan. Mm-hmm. So may- maybe a, co- a couple of questions on the personal front, and then we'll, we'll, call, it a, we'll call it a morning, at least e- East Coast time. <laughs> uh, what, what are some habits or routines that keep you healthy, sane, and focused? Yeah, so the look, uh, you mentioned meditation. Being a monk, and I want to ask you uh, what that means for you being a monk. <laughs> I've been doing transcendental meditation ever since I left San Francisco. This is just a 20 minutes uh, morning routine. I've been, you know, more or less disciplined on that front. I feel like after a number of years, you start kind of, you know, being less disciplined about it. So you need to revive it. Uh, just, you know, mm-hmm. um, uh, otherwise, uh, green tea, love my sencha, Japanese sencha, and nice. keeping its port. Just, uh, we, it tends to be a, a intellectually taxing environment, right? To be an investor, we don't use our hands much. Uh, we use our screens a lot. We are on a lot of calls, and we have to think fast. And for that, you need also to have the off time. 
So sports, uh, going in nature, all that stuff is absolutely critical. Yeah, right on. Yeah, the, I was I was um, sharing with uh, my members recently around transcendental meditation, and I think when some folks hear about meditation, you know, they're not super keen to try it out. Maybe it's hard, or maybe they think you know, sitting down means there's no thoughts in your brain, which is yeah. rarely, if ever, the case. No, it's not the case. And yeah, <laughs> and then and then to to share to share the article about Ray Dalio, who's been doing you know TM for, I don't know, decades and attribute it for a lot of his creativity and calm and insights, I think is, uh, I don't know, it, it helps to kind of shatter misconceptions yeah. around meditation as kind of a very passive, you know, activity um, or retreat, right? But more, it can be, uh, you know, a fuel really to, to how to live, work, play better, you know, more, yeah. more intentionally. But then there's the next level, and and this is you know having done uh, 20 minutes ever you know ever since 2015, so seven years now, you know more or less again. Uh, there's Naval Ravikant, which you know is inspiring on many many fronts, but he, <laughs> he's like next level. He does yeah. 40 minutes or 45 minutes meditation uninterrupted, where you basically empty your backlog. Consider that as your, your email backlog. You, every day you have a number of emails, and and it, it gets quickly clogged, right? If you don't answer emails every day. You start, you wake up and you have hundreds of emails and it becomes completely overwhelming. Same goes with your mind, with thoughts, right? They just stack up and becomes quickly clogged. So you have to sit down on a chair, nothing, no, nothing fancy, just 40, 45 minutes to empty that inbox. I've not been able to accomplish that. I typically, you know, after 20 to 22 minutes become a little agitated. <laughs> I can relate for sure. Uh, yeah, it's a, it's a constant, um, it's a constant practice. That's why they call it a meditation practice. You're, you're not, you're not good at it. You just keep, you just keep practicing. Yeah. How about any, well, one or two pieces of advice for your, your younger self, you, you cover the ego piece, anything else that's, I don't know, tactical, strategic that, uh, you know, career yeah. switchers or emerging professionals could, uh, yeah, absolutely. Could take on. So there's one that, you know, I also try to be, to do my, my, my job as a community helper and I go to business schools and I, I talk about my experience and, and one of the tips that I typically leave students with, but this is valid to anyone at any point in life is before you want to jump into becoming a founder. And again, I thought I, I, I thought I was ready. I thought I prepared everything. I read the right books. I felt educated, you know, to become a founder. I just jumped into a new, new vertical that I didn't fully understand. And so my biggest tip would be don't, don't learn from your own mistakes because you're going to make so many. It's just completely unreal the amount of mistakes that you do along the way as a founder. So learn from someone else's mistakes. And how do you do that effectively? Try to find a founder that is probably two to three years ahead in their journey. You know, it's sort of a do a competitive uh, uh, landscape analysis. Find a startup that is two to three years ahead. Uh, it sounds a little less sexy at the beginning, right? Because you want to be the one bringing the breakthrough and, you know, starting with a business and being successful first. But the reality is there's probably the reason why the company that you're trying to start have failed or not fully succeeded. And so you might as well just jump and ride that wave for that company that is already in business and that has cleared the, the, the path for, for success so that after one year or two years in that business, or even just six months, frankly, you can learn so much in six months, uh, you're ready to spin off and start a success story. Mm, I like it. Very practical. Well, uh, Johan, this has been a great double episode. 
Uh, yes. I think there's lots more to talk about uh, <laughs> offline or, or uh, well, offline and sharing it through our various, you know, kind of intentional efforts to open source our learnings or learnings with our our founders or, or, or CEO members. Yeah, um, thanks, Chris. Anyway, great stuff, man. I have a lot of respect for what you do as well. Uh, I've been following your own episodes here, here. on Journey. I, I think the course that you're doing is absolutely valuable. And and I wish there would be a, a more a two-way street, right? A bigger bridge between Europe and the US. We understand each other, but sometimes we don't. And I think it's a shame because mm. uh, talking about sharing learnings, there's so many learnings that we should derive from each other. Let's do it. Let's do it. This is the start right here. <laughs> All right. Thanks, Chris. Talk soon. You got it. Talk soon. Cheers. Thank you so much for listening. Seriously, the world needs you. And I know your time is super valuable. If you want more content like this, please subscribe to our weekly newsletter at entrepreneursforimpact.com. If you like this podcast, please subscribe and leave a review on Apple Podcast or Spotify. I read every single one, I promise. These reviews are the number one way to draw more attention to the world-changing climate CEOs and investors that I'm lucky enough to be interviewing on the show. And each month, I pick one listener review for a one-on-one brainstorming call with me. Who knows what can come of those? Finally, if you're a growth stage climate CEO looking for a confidential peer group to share best practices, expand your network and scale your business, then please apply to join our climate mastermind programs at Entrepreneurs for Impact, where our current amazing members have created over $4 billion in company value to mitigate climate change. Until next time, keep on fighting those good fights.